Welcome to Creation Conversations with Joe Hubbard and John Mackay. Join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the Bible, creation, and Noah's flood. We hope you enjoy the show. And we've lost Joe just as we go live. So welcome everyone to Creation Conversations. Uh, Joe has done a Joe um, and he suddenly disappeared uh, right where we need him the most. But no way, no fear, I am here. And uh, with me as well, we have our international director, John Mackay. And we have Craig Hawkins. Give yourselves a hand, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. Right. Okay. How are we doing? How are we, how are we, how are we, uh, we coping? We've been away for well, a little bit. I, I'll, I'll go first and then Craig and then hopefully Joe and Diane would best. Even though we've lost Joe and Diane who are on, on, on site at the camp where they've been doing the creation uh, uh, rocks cry out fossil collection and I'll let them announce one fabulous fossil that they found uh, because otherwise I'd be boasting and I didn't have anything to do with it. But we're not only glad to have Craig and Sam, we are always glad that well, there's a Bible verse that's very relevant. In all your ways, acknowledge the Lord and he will direct your paths. So he's here as well. We are firmly and adamantly convinced that Jesus Christ, who's not only the creator, but is the sovereign God, goes ahead of us too. If you're not a Christian, then you need that assurance because without it, this world's a terrifying place. Let me just remind you of one terrifying thing before I hand back to uh, Craig and then to Joe and Diane. I was traveling up the Jurassic Ark recently, and have you noticed things, the prices have increased? I mean, we've got the, the leaking methane that looks like sabotage. We've got all sorts of prices going up in supermarkets, but I left home and I went up, petrol was one price. When I came home, the price had gone up 20% in five hours. Now, the reality is that affects bringing these things in. So if you notice our sales boxes when you come to creation research meetings, the price of dinosaur poo has just gone through the roof. I'm glad I've got it. It's turned out to be a great investment. All my big chunks are worth a lot more. Well, that's if anybody wants to buy them or I want to sell them. But in reality, it's not just prices affecting fuel or food. It's affecting fossils and the cost of running things as well. Um, we've had the Jurassic Art Open Day. I'll come back a bit more to that later. Craig, you give us a few minutes on what you've been up to and uh, save your PowerPoints a little bit later as well. And I see Joe and Diane are back and live, and we'll hand straight back to them after you, Craig. Okay. Hopefully you can hear us. Can we yes, just do it? there we go. You can hear yeah. us. Yes. Yeah. Please, everyone who is watching this, everyone who's in the room with us on this first live audience creation conversations, please pray that the internet holds out. It has all week, but for some reason it's not wanting to now. But there we go. Um, let's, uh, yeah, back to you, back to you, Craig. Yeah, well, it's just a, a good morning, good evening uh, from me as well, everyone. I've uh, just come back from Queensland from the Jurassic Ark Open Day. That was a great time up there. Uh, just getting back into a little bit of work down here and uh, fixing a few things up at the museum and so on. But it's, uh, it's good to be here, noticing the price rises and everything as well. <laughs> Trying to run a business with all that as well can be quite challenging. But, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's something that's really impacting across the world, I think. It actually is. Craig, you and I, when we were down there together at the open day, along with Diane, we went and had a look at a big building that used to be a theatre, I believe. Uh, you've got some sort of 
idea that this might become part of creation research uh, adventure. So what's your thoughts there at the moment? Yeah, okay. Well, the, the, the big theatre site, it's uh, built in late 1890s, I think, um, National Trust, but it's a, it's a great building right on the main street. Uh, of our local town, and um, it has been for sale, but it's it's not 100% certain that it is at the moment. We're sort of just talking, but we need to be able to raise finances and, and, and look into that a whole lot more. It's got heaps of space, not just the theatre itself, but a lot of rooms uh, around outside of that, upstairs and a whole bunch of things. So it would be a great museum site. So we'll see how that goes. Joe and Diane, what are you up to? Well, uh, it's been a very eventful week. For one, we obviously you're with us here in the UK, yeah. Diane, which is yes, the new development. Right. So it's yes. great to have you here. Yeah. And for the last uh, week, we have been on our first big fossil convention. And uh, Sarah Ann, if you're you're here in the room, could you just turn the camera around slightly and show everybody who's watching live the faithful few who have remained to uh, watch this live creation conversations for the first time give us all a wave everyone give us all a whoop it's yeah. great to have you all that's here. how you know it's live because you get Absolutely. the whoops yeah, yeah it's great to have you all here and hopefully uh, everyone will be able to uh, engage and ask some questions and then be able to do some stuff with us because uh, we've had a, a lot more people than, than what you can see here but you've got to remember it is now sort of 20 to 10 at night so um you can kind of uh, realize that most people are wanting to head to bed even though the bed is probably quite wet because it has been a very very wet day today hasn't it and, <laughs> and our windy and windy very windy and very noisy thankfully it's oh. calmed down now but um our heater is broken twice it's currently broken thankfully it's not really freezing but uh we've had quite an eventful week but we've had an excellent week of looking at evidence so we've got some pictures to show you later a quick PowerPoint of what we've been up to and uh, some of the great evidence that we've found. We've also been joined by a great panel of speakers, people like Dr. John Matthews, who is here tonight. We had Simon Turpin from Answers in Genesis. We had Professor Andy McIntosh. And we had a certain John Mackay who showed up virtually. So praise the Lord, that all went really well. But we'll be bringing you an update a little bit later. Hey, you forgot to mention the little robot owner. You know, what's that, Mr. Seeds? Was he there with you guys too? Oh, yes. Neil Seeds was here indeed, and he was a great encouragement. In fact, this morning he led a fantastic devotion. So we've been doing devotions because our convention is not just about, uh, you know, going and seeing the evidence and digging up fossils. It's also about having time of fellowship together. It's about having discussions together. And even tonight we shared some food together, didn't we? Yes, and that we was did. An we interesting experience with the barbecue inside a marquee with all of the wind. But anyway, we had a great time. It was great fun. Fun, and uh, we had some great times of devotion as well. I didn't want it all to just be me standing up and speaking. So, so far, I've only led one. Uh, we've had some uh, great men who have come and have led us in devotions over the last few days as well. So it's been absolutely wonderful. Amen, indeed. Right, okay. So uh, for everyone who is just joining, this is a first live in-person creation conversation. So hello to everyone on our streams. You are just more you are more than welcome, just as important as everyone in person. Uh, so we thank you for tuning in. Uh, remember to like and share the video. It really does help us get up on the ratings, get us uh, in front of more people. Um, and uh, if you haven't, 
consider subscribing because it's free. It helps us out and you get some great content from us. Remember to hit that little notification bell as well so you're notified about everything that we have coming up from us. Uh, so um, for those who are here tonight, we have a little bit of a surprise later on uh, in terms of the upcoming Genesis film. Um, but for now, do you want to, shall we head over to uh, John? Shall we head over to you for your PowerPoint? Okay, you can hear hand over to me and uh, i'll hand over to craig after i'm done um i, I noticed george is there being uh, harangued or haranguing others or whatever you're doing behind the scenes george i can only just read that the comments that are going on but george sent me a question the other day so i'll repeat it uh, several times but i'll do it while i remember it it was all about polystrate trees you know the trees that go up through multiple layers and the person was asking about uh the fact that the insides of many of these trees are permineralized and george wanted to know how we can explain that no i'm not going to explain it right now i said to george sounds like we need a whole session on polystrate trees because to be honest i have visited so many polystrate trees tens of thousands of them around the globe on multiple continents i i estimate i've got the world's biggest collection of photographs of polystrate trees and probably excavated many of them so we in co cooperation with set the search for truth uh, that's not what right standing for truth that's right now uh, we'll do a program on that and we'll also do uh alternate version of it on creation conversations too because yes i've checked the outside of the trees and their coal i've checked the inside some of them are silica some of them are wood some of them are actually permineralized so we will actually have a good look at what's going on and yes i presented papers on this sort of stuff at the sydney basin coal conference many years ago before i was essentially blocked from that geological association so we will we will get into that big time uh in in a few weeks when george has figured out a date we've figured out a date okay so what have we got here let me just show you one of our rocks okay this featured at our jurassic arc open date and there's me behind it. Joe asked me, could I give an update on our open day as a lead into what they're doing in the UK in a couple of weeks? Um, there's a cross section of what looks like, well, it looks like a funny thing. You'll see some more of it in a moment. It comes out of our Jurassic Ark deposit. People have asked me, of course, why do you have your Jurassic Ark Museum at least two hours from Brisbane airport? The answer was, we couldn't shift the airport, so we left Jurassic Ark where it was, uh, where we found the massive big fossil deposit. That's why Jurassic Ark is two and a bit hours from the International Airport at Brisbane. But it's got some mysterious things in, including this, well, it looks like a squash section. If you get close up, you can see some funny marks on that side, which has been stained as well as etched. But on this side, it's been polished. Can you see the sections in it? Well, what are they? Are they just random erosion? No, they've got a pattern to them. Is it a giant seed pod? Because uh, if it is, it's one of the first that's been found. Yes, there are seed pods that are enormous, and we'll be talking about that as well. No, I won't be doing anything more on the price of dinosaur do. Uh, but it's been interesting to look at the impact on the value of some of the fossils we've collected over the years they are just skyrocketing as the price of fossils uh, based on the cost of getting them from a to b 
I mean, we have to dig out our fossils. We have to transport them. We want to put them in a museum. Craig asked me the other day when he was up here for our open day, hey, could we send some of these down to Tasmania? Well, if you want to price the cost now of sending two tonnes of fossils to Tasmania, paying shipping fees, man, does it put the price of fossils up? Okay, what we're going to do, I'm going to actually swap over, and I think all by myself without you telling me how to do it, Joe, after one little commercial. Some good news, just in time for Jurassic Arc Open Day, our new edition of Tights, Mites and Fossil Fights was delivered about 11 a.m. because we started at 10.30 a.m. It was delivered to Jurassic Arc, and it's fabulous. You can see Joseph Hubbard up there in the top uh, right-hand side. You might even see his picture hiding behind the top print that says Young Earth, Six Days, Noah's Flood, and Worldwide Evidence. Now, Joe's just about to get some English versions of this. It's at the printers, and you will love it. Um, tights, mites, and fossilites. He and I decided on this a couple of years ago, but this edition is not just uh, the same old stuff. It's not even just upgraded text. It's got upgraded and new material in, like several pages on the Chirk Canal Tunnel, which established that not only was the cement used made locally, it was actually used to put the bricks together and in the 200 years or so since the, the canal has been there, not only has it dissolved with the groundwater, not only does it show the evidence of bacteria playing a role in stalactites, so it's not just the ordinary natural processes people think of, it's got some living components that speed it up. Not only did it happen real quickly, but if you can catch a view of that, you see the crystals inside the stalactite? It's not only made of the stuff that comes from cement, it's actually reverted to calcium carbonate. The evidence of the crystals is beyond challenge. You see, people say the reason cement takes so little time to become stalactites is it's not made of calcium carbonate. Sorry, cement is made of calcium carbonate, chewed up, heated up, and then put back into cement with a few extra chemicals but it reverts to calcium carbonate, as is evidenced by these beautiful um, rhombohedral-type crystals there that are definitely carbonate ones. So the Chirk Canal is there, as is our latest experiment. Let me get rid of these pieces of tissue. Uh, we've taken time explaining this to the people at the convention, and uh, look for your edition in the UK uh, and in Australia, because we've been burying bones for years. And you'll see that shortly after we buried them, yes, we have done this briefly before, some of the kids dug them up at four months, just under four months of age. The white one on the left-hand side, that's the one, that's our test control. That's what all the bones were like when we put them in. The orange one, that's just become one while we sent it off to the lab, and it definitely contained iron. Not in 3 million years, not in 30,000 years, not in 10,000 years, but in just over three months. Now, in the last six months or so, Diane and I and others have been digging up these pits. And you see our bone just there? I tell you what, my brain is programmed to read from right to left. So when I do it in reverse on the computer, I have to think. That's what the bones are like now in our test pits. And we were in touch with Professor Ed Nealon, who said to prove it's iron, just get the bones and crush them up. Thank you, Diane Eager, for smashing up our bones. 
then boil them up. And that's what we did over on this side. Whoops, that side over there. You can see it in the bottom right-hand corner. And crushed up, smashed up, boiled. And then that's the one on the left-hand side. And then we just added caustic soda to it. And Ed, Professor Ed Nealon, who's our chemistry par excellence compared to uh, chemistry moles like me, um, he said, if it goes light green, you have iron. Well, we had plenty of iron. It went light green just like that. And we sent it back to him and he's satisfied. He's agreed. That is exactly the proof that it did not take uh, the standard figure in textbooks. A 10,000 years and you've got a little bit of iron in the bone. No, not even 10,000 days. In fact, not even a thousand days, not even a hundred days. Um, just a bit over three months. So we've been doing all sorts of experiments and Jurassic Arc open day was to show people that. Now, let's see if I can do this all by myself. Where are we? There we are. Go to the cursor and go to, where's my screen gone, Joe? I'm going to have to revert to this. I don't know why you're coming to meet you up. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, so all you need to do... You need to press your Windows key and then click on your PowerPoint. It's already set up to go. It is. I know that. Um, but where is it gone? I'm sorry, folks. I boasted too early. There we are. Can you see me now? Can you see yeah, the picture? We, we can, can see, see the presentation. Oh, need to press what? <laughs> what do I need to do? No, you just, you, you're ready to go. Just get, just go, John. You're all good. You're on oh, screen. I'm ready to go. Okay. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much. You see, I'm a living fossil in pure definition for sure when it comes to technology. Okay, so Joe asked me to talk about the results of our open day, which was just last Saturday, and it's been great. Um, it's now a week after it. And uh, also, well, I'm sorry, nothing's happening here. Why isn't it going? Have Where you clicked, are onto we? The, have you clicked into the Try clicking on the presentation, the picture in front of you, John, and then start clicking left to right. I've done that. I clicked on the pre Ah, there we are. Good. Now we've gone whole screen, but it's still not moving anywhere. Why isn't it going anywhere? Um, I, 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 I thought we had this down to down to a fine art, I'm Sam. I'm not working earlier, John. On the presentation um, at yeah. all. Um, In John, fact, Craig, you take over, and Sam and I'll sort this out behind the scenes. You get yours back up. Yeah. Not yet. Okay. So we'll all. Okay, Craig. Okay, you're, so you're, you're all up and ready to go, Craig. So just. Go ahead. Okay, hopefully I can work this one. But there's a, a picture of Jurassic Park uh, the day before the open day. Actually, it was a beautiful day um, since I was first there uh, five or six years ago or more. Uh, it's really come on. The gardens are looking great. When you walk through the, the gardens, uh, it's like walking through uh, Genesis. Um, you've got uh, the point where there's a lot of prickly plant. I can't say it. Prickly plants and uh, thorny plants uh, showing the fall and it goes through and uh, yeah, we've got Australian know. plants up in there. But it looks great. Um, I, I actually met Crypto Tiger, one of our regular viewers there as well, which was fantastic. Um, there's a new giant goanna uh, picture that uh, we've installed there. That's showing 
a full size goanna. I'm glad they don't get that big yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're quite aggressive animals for their size. Um, but uh, it's four and a half meters is yeah. uh, the size they once got to. They're probably only no, like less a, than like one and a half, two meters there now. Yeah. Okay, there's the bush classroom. What better place to in, investigate God's wonderful creation than out in the, the bush on a sunny Queensland day, provided it doesn't get too hot, as it can up there, but it was beautiful for a Tasmanian. And here's one of the real great exhibits there is the is something that's very rich even in the creation sphere, and uh, it's not even fully appreciated by other creation organisations, to be honest, um, but it's some of the unique research that creation research is doing, and it's showing his, uh, John there up in the, the top right of that is showing some of the black and white strata that's been able to be formed in this uh, machine, and that's John giving a lecture on it a short while ago. And I was able to show John because he brought this to my attention a little while ago when I was on a, a bit of a trip not far from where I live in northern Tasmania, in the Clarence Point region. There was a strata that was exactly like what the strata machine shows. And I'll show you a close-up of this. Black and white banding, not laid down over millions or even thousands of years, but most likely if the strata machine is reflecting what's happening in the real world, it's something that's actually happened all at once. There's another example of it there, even with little faults and so on within it. Okay, just a little bit of an update on our museum. Uh, we, we had a, a fantastic old Bible. It's old, old for Australians at least, maybe not in the UK, but uh, probably about uh, 160, 170-year-old Bible. Uh, the, the idea of this display will ultimately be, once we've got a bit of signage up, to show that the Bible hasn't changed over time, that it's uh, God's timeless word and that it reflects the truth of his uh, creation and other things as well, of course. Um, yeah, just on the museum as well, during the week, I had a, an interesting visit while I was there of someone that claimed they were the opposite to a Christian but not an atheist. So I'll leave your imagination to what that might be. Uh, but they were very mocking to start with but did ask me to take them through the museum, so I did. And uh, a couple of them there were, were openly laughing at some of the stuff that we had at the start. But by the time I'd walked them through the, the Christian worldview and the way worldviews um are formed and what the Christian message is and the consistency of it with actual evidence, their smiles and their mocking soon disappeared. And by the time they walked out, they said to me, uh, thank you very much. That was incredibly interesting. So that's why we exist. That's why we're here. So even people like that, whether they're a Satanist, I'm not sure, um, a New Age believer or something like that, that they might actually be able to see the truth of God's word and that the evidence hard on the ground when viewed with the right worldview um, is very compelling. Now, if there's anyone out there 
in the Tasmanian area next February. Uh, we're planning a trip to the remote southwest. It's a good excuse anyway to get out in the bush for a few days. It's very remote. There's no roads there. There's no uh, cafes or shops on the on the corner. Uh, it's all walking. It's probably about a 40-kilometre walk. We'll be camping for three or four days, and we're going to look for hopefully some some large trilobites and other Ordovician fossils in the remote area down near Macquarie Harbour um, in the southwest wilderness area. We have to get a boat across the harbour, probably an hour or two boat trip, and then, yeah, walking. So you'd have to be completely self-sufficient with food and water. It's tiger country there, and when I say tigers, I'm not referring to uh, the furry type. I'm talking to tiger snakes. Uh, the third deadliest snake, I, I think it is, in the world. So there's plenty of them at, out in that area. So if you want to join us, get in contact with Creation Research and uh, and let us know, and uh, we'll try and get you on. It's got limited space because there's limited space on the boat to get across there. But that's a bit of an update on what we're doing down here in Tasmania. It's been great to be part of the, the broader Creation Research team in the open days in recent weeks. And, uh, and participating in that. So back over to you, Sam. All oh, right. Okay. Joe here. I just want to say, Craig, that um, my recommendation, if you want to have people come on your field trip, is not mention the snakes too much. <laughs> well, we've got limited numbers, so I'm hoping I'll scare <laughs> a few away. <laughs> Let's hope you come back with the same number. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, me and John have uh, worked behind the scenes. We've got it up and running. John has given me his word he hasn't touched anything. So as far as I'm aware, that should all be ready to go, John. So take it away. Okay. So let's restart again. And thank you, Sam, for giving a great opt-out to blame me for anything that goes wrong now. <laughs> Open day for September 24th. And no tiger snakes. But we did have red-bellied and black snakes that day. So we had to tell the people. And uh, as much as we don't like telling people this, there's a legal obligation to warn people of any dangers. And yes, that morning we just did have red-bellied black snakes as well as the uh, the uh, the other ones. So we did have to tell them. All right, so here's our crowd. There's our entry. We put this up a few years ago. Great, we can lock the gates, we can open the gates. And of course, one of the things that we decided to do, the last time we held this and was just pre-COVID, we had 300 people and it was tough, even on 10 hectares, 20 hectares, it was tough dealing with them all following John Mackay with a truck with a PA on. So this time we split them up into groups of 50 or so. Man, I tell you what, did that work? They could each go to, I mean, we've got 20 or so displays and you can spend three days going through these displays and they're all designed for classrooms. So some would go to our experimental section and see the stalactites and stalagmites and look at the strata tank. Some would go down and visit the gardens. And Craig took one of those exhibits all the way through dealing with gum trees and murals and things like that. And uh, some could wander down and spot me and Craig or anybody else who wanted to get a photo opportunity besides our latest, latest semi-mural. Uh, by the way, if you're wondering what that is, let's explain the background of this mega monster that's down in our Australian plants section. You see, there's the mechanised version of it that appeared in museums 
quite a while ago. In fact, if you want to know how long ago, there's Dr. Diane Eager, and she's putting a hand <laughs> on the jaw, right? Now, yes, Diane, that is you, in case you can't recognise yourself. We're at the museum, and they've just gone on display as part of a commercial enterprise, and uh, what was it? Well, there it is. You say, how do we know that that metre-long goanna, by the way, goanna is a perversion of the word iguana because the pommies who came out here, that's what they called it. Is that a guana? Uh, is, you know, they, their accent dropped the eye off it, and that's how we get our name, goanna. Um, okay, small today, but when you look, analyse it, on the right-hand side is the fossil one, on the left-hand side is the present-day one. Bone for bone, tooth for tooth, jaw for jaw, the monster is a mega goanna. Um, but we see this in many creatures in Australia, not only with time. You see, this fossil comes from the Darling Downs, and, and it was it's a post-flood fossil. But on the coast, we find, well, what is this? Blue-tongued lizards. And blue-tongued lizards on the coast live up to, well, long enough to reach 75 centimetres, by the time you get not far from the coast, that's my house, 60 centimetres, uh, quite a reduction in a, a limited amount of time. By the time you get out back, they are mini. By the time you get right to the desert, they dig themselves into burrows and they're, well, they're so tiny, you can hold them in one hand. What's going on? On the coast, the big ones have got plenty of food. By the time you get to the outback, no food, no water, not enough to maintain the size of the big ones. So they get eliminated and only the pygmy dwarfs survive. It's not only happening in distance, it's happened in time since Noah's flood. Devolution, yes. Evolution, no. Um, when you run a, a big display, when you run a big museum, things go wrong. You see, that's why evolution won't work. Things go wrong with our creations just like things have gone wrong with God's creation after Adam's sin. Here's Daryl and Clem trying to fix up our rotary strata machine. And yes, we did manage to get it fixed just in time. And we also have to fix the dinosaurs. What could go wrong with dinosaurs? Well, they could die out for a start. And here's one of our artists, Cindy. Her job was to restore Terry Triceratops. You see, the kids love this, and he gets a lot of abuse. They love to hop up on him and slide down his back, and they decolor him. They strip the coloring off. Poor old Terry, he has to actually get an upgrade every now and then. And Steve and Cindy have been our art team for quite a long time. Well, I'll tell you what, the upgrade worked really well. Look, Terry's eyes are glistening again. His horns, his three horns, and his lovely uh, horny um, coating there all look great. They've been restored as new. In fact, the Bible is not just about creation. It's not just about degeneration, not just about sin. It actually is about recreation as well. But you and I won't just get a paint job. If you know Christ, he's recreated you in his image, and he's actually working on making a new heavens and a new earth. Well, there's one of our big displays that people who were coming to Jurassic Ark Open Day hoped to see. Now, it wasn't on That's our main trip this time. bigger than the one we saw at the fossil shop today. Yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, there's yours truly. Um, and yes, you now know why I don't really do computers too well. I existed before computers came on the planet. Um, but 
this time we had to prepare all the displays, get them all cleaned up because of COVID, it's been three years since we've had people looking at these. So not only did they need a clean, they needed a touch up, they needed a paint up so people could actually get their favorite place, their Photoshop. Um, by the way, when you have a look at these, they're part of our display on monsters because monsters like our shark, um, see there's a photographic portrait, uh, artist, uh, whatever you like, uh, and there's a scuba diver beside it for scale. How big was it? Well, there's one of our virtual reality displays. That's how big the shark was sitting on top of my car. Now, there's no real shark there. That's a virtual one. You can bring it up on the app that comes free when you enter Jurassic Ark. Now, that's a big shark. Today, look at what's happened to them. Look at that diagram. The big shark at the top, the lesser shark underneath it, and the present-day shark, great white shark, the one that you and I are scared of with a man for scale on the left-hand side. Now, notice the word we've used. When you come to Jurassic Ark on an open day, we not only want to remind you about creation, we not only want to remind you about the fact that the creator owns us, made us, and he didn't take very long, not only that uh, that was a created design and it was very good, but the fact is sin has ruined everything and devolution is the norm. You see, there's our sharks today. I know that because I've been catching them since I was a kid out in Morton Bay. Uh, there's a couple of tricks if you actually want to catch sharks for food. It's one of the commonest fish foods on the planet. And the reality is don't forget to bleed them. And, you know, hang them up as fast as you can, bleed the whole thing. Why? Because many creatures that live in the sea have to balance their internal osmotic pressure against the outside. The chemical pressure in the water has to equal the chemical pressure in the blood or they'll drain dry and they'll die or they'll flood and they'll die anyway. Now, sharks actually use their urine to actually keep the osmotic chemical balance right. So if you want a mouthful of urine-flavored shark, then don't bleed it. They, they get to stink real quickly. Oh, but there's our finished jaws. And you see our app is switched on. We were a bit concerned because during COVID, the app had real troubles. Now it's all back working. And can you see our pterodactyl flying through the background? The shark uh, is, you, you see that tree on the left-hand side there? The tail of the shark would be found back there. But no pterodactyls alive today. And praise God, it doesn't seem there are any sharks this big out hunting for you. Perhaps they just ate giant kelp when the world was very good. Oh, some of you remember that a few weeks back, I asked you to pray for Nicole because Nicole was showing interest in coming to work for us. She's now accepted the job. So three days a week, Nicole comes in and helps Kerry and me and all the people in the office. And you need to pray for at least one more person because COVID has left us rather battered in terms of staff who've needed to shift, etc. Now they're starting up. It's been holidays over here, a long weekend this weekend. So basically everything's shut down and people are on the roads. But we all start back up again next Tuesday. Uh, one of Carrie's jobs, well, she comes in to actually classify our fossils. Now, those of you who are still at the campsite, remember we've done not only the geologic column, we've not only done how strata's formed, we've dealt with the names. This is one of my unusual armoured fishes that's in our collection, and it's a Permian fossil. 
And in fact, if you look at it, Permian, not for millions of years, not for anything, but the town of Perm in Russia. So most of these geologic names, the ones particularly up to the end of the Cretaceous, are names invented by creationists, and they are names that basically are places, not evolutionary. It's only after Lyell and the others get their hands on the system that the top part of the geologic column is turned into classifying by percentage fossils and age and things like that. But here's why people come to Jurassic Ark. There's the first excavations many years ago. But even that required, well, it's been flooded once in 2011. And uh, all of these logs here were mashed up to pieces. And we actually already called it a log jam because all the evidence showed they'd previously been mashed up to pieces before they got to Jurassic Ark. There's a Canadian log jam. The trees have fallen down from that big landslide you can see on the back left-hand side. And as they tumble all the way down the Fraser River, right down to the mouth in Vancouver there, you will find their points get tumbled around. Here's a tree that's been abraded as it floated. There's a tree at Jurassic Ark. That tree has provably not only originally been living somewhere, but not here, it's floated here and it's floated in a log jam. Yes, we've needed to prove all these things uh, to, to help the skeptics, to help the people. Uh, there's a mother and son team. Uh, look what they're working on, a giant log. Look, do you see the abrasion at the front of the log? It's interesting to see how many abraded logs there are, and I'll guarantee when you've been to a so-called fossil forest, you would have spotted these, but nobody bothered to point them out. Trees that have floated, trees that have been in log jams, trees that have actually rumbled against and tumbled against each other end up being abraded at the front. You can pick the directions of these. In fact, uh, there's one of our young students. He comes in voluntarily and helps with our digging. You see, all of this goes on behind the scenes if you're going to run an open day. So, Joe, you already know how much work is involved in open days, but you're also finding out you're going to open your museum uh, at least to an open day at the end of October. Those of you who are able, volunteer to become Joe's helper and the, the ministry's helper. Uh, you don't have to dig things like this in the building, but you do have to actually help them set it up. Uh, look, at, look at the abrasion at one end of the tree. This is a fossil flood log jam dump. And of course, we enjoy telling people how big the flood was that actually produced this. How big was it? Well, come and visit our uh, next open day and you can learn for yourself that the only flood that qualifies is the big one that the Bible talks about. But we do have a few mysteries. There's a fossil we found on the left-hand side. There's a living fossil on the right-hand side. And there's a few close-ups at the bottom. What is it? Well, that's the one I held up a section um, because we decided we'd never seen a fossil like this. Is it a bit of wood that's just tumbled? Well, we excavated it out. We had school kids there and they too were impressed with the torpedo-like shape of this. What is it? You'll see it's buried in multiple layers and we excavated it so you could actually get underneath it. We photographed it thoroughly in case it fell apart. Look, there's the kids because they were there when we dug this up and found it and they came back a year or so later when they wanted to see what we'd done with it. So in front of them, here's Daryl, our curator, and I, 
and we're actually doing the last step so that people can see we got it out of the ground. It's so unusual. We even prepared a sarcophagus for it. <laughs> it's like one of those ancient chariots with no wheels. You see the fossils on the right-hand side? The fossil we're about to lift up is just in front of it. And there it is taken and turned over. Why did we turn it over? Because we didn't want it to fall apart. We didn't, we'd never seen the bottom of this before. We wanted the kids to see it at the same time as we did. And then we wrapped it up and we, you know, totally encased it and we sent it down to be cut and polished. Um, I'll show you that again at the end of it. But you see, we've got a few things at Jurassic Art now that are rather interesting to people's view of history because people's history is so evolutionary based, even amongst the Christians. Things get better and better as time goes on. But the Bible says, no, they don't. In fact, there's one of our famous wombats. See the little kid there enjoying it at one of our, muse our, our national parks? Wombats are interesting because <clears throat> they've got powerful claws and they love to dig holes. And the bigger the wombat, the bigger the holes. And they've got two front teeth. Hence their technical name, diprotodontist. Now, some of you may have heard that in another context. A diprotodont is usually a name reserved for the big fossils, but it refers to any creature that's got two front teeth. Now, there's a young man who came along to look at this gigantic diprotodont skull that had been found on the Darling Downs. See its left-hand side, two front teeth. There's a fossil wombat at the top. There's a fossil, a living wombat at the bottom. Notice even the fossil wombats used to be bigger, and so did their cousins, the diprotodonts. Well, there's a man for scale, and look at that concrete replica of the monster. There used to be some big critters in Australia, and this is post-Noah's flood as well. You say, how do we know it's post-Noah's flood? Because these creatures weren't buried rapidly. They died, and they fell into swampy ground, whereupon the acid has preserved them and you find their bits and pieces, including whole skulls. Well, wombats used to be bigger. Now they're smaller. Diprotodonts used to be bigger. Many of them, the actual specific ones, have died out. But the reality is the guy who found this skull went to be with the Lord. He was a Christian guy and he found it many, many years ago and donated it to us. We are truly thankful to Wayne. But Wayne, of course, didn't need to worry about the problem of death. He was in hospital already quite ill and Wayne died of a heart attack suddenly and irretrievably. But Wayne knows the truth of the fact that in the beginning, everything was very good. And the whole reason he gave it to Jurassic Ark is that we talk all about the whole history of the world. You see, created perfection, the sin of man, which stops us even seeing the evidence, God's judgment, judgment is real then and it's real now. Hell is very real, just as heaven is very real. And all the way down to the present world, we need Jesus. You realize down at the bottom? But you see, the reason I know Wayne is doing much better than us is that Wayne was a Christian who became a Christian because Jesus is the only Savior. You realize Allah doesn't offer to save you? If you're a Muslim and you're listening, then realize Jesus is a Savior. Allah is not. Muhammad is not. God's word is true from the very beginning when everything God made was very good. 
Therefore, if you want to get back into that world, not a world full of wars like Ukraine, not a world full of hunger and rising prices and starvation, therefore you need to trust Jesus, the creator, as your saviour. In fact, uh, Sam, if you can turn me back on again or tell me how to do it, I'll happily switch buttons here. I think we're right there. No worries. Okay. Can you see me now? We yes. can see you. We're all good. Good. Okay. Where, where are we? There we are. Now, hey, 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 little Chris will join us. I, I thought you might like to say that, John. So, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Am here's I not? Blue here's a blue tongue lizard for you. He's okay. good. Lovely. This one's about yeah. 40 centimetres, so not the full full length, but uh, my kids uh, keep a few of them. They, they occur in our gardens around this area as well, so he's quite a big one. You see yes. sort of the length That's of him there. Good. You've got cool, yeah. wet uh, climate and plenty of food for them. Remember I was showing you this? There it is again. So you can have a good look at the inside of this rather strange, and it wasn't squashed, it was beautifully shaped, torpedo-shaped. In fact, as we look up some of the things that it could have been, we found a tree with gigantic um, seed pods on it, and that's our best option at the moment. And those spaces, well, it's it's sort of too beautifully shaped to be just a crushed log that's rounded uh, at both ends and torpedo shaped. We're still working on it. Joe, take it away. Well, thank you very much. It's been a, a pretty interesting week as well as a, uh, a very blessed one. And we've been very blessed to have you with us as well, Diane. Um, it's been very useful to be able to thrust a microphone in your direction during a field trip. <laughs> oh, it's to been talk, very good to be here. Uh, to talk about living fossils or whatever. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Just to give you a bit of a perspective as to why we do these kind of fossil conventions, obviously we want people who are here in the live audience and we want people who are watching to be able to get evidence, understand evidence, learn how to find their own evidence. So it all comes together. But to give you a perspective of how important it is, one thing that we've been pushing all week is number one, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ. And secondly, it's the importance of having that biblical worldview. Now, it doesn't matter where you go with this biblical worldview, whether you're looking at fossils, whether you're looking at living fossils and the living things, and we've discussed creation and all sorts of stuff this convention, but this this is where it, you end up if you don't have the mind of Christ in you. I had a notification come up on my phone earlier. You see, in the UK, we have libraries, public libraries, and for the young children sort of aged up to about the age of five, six, there was a program called Bookstart and it contained a very cute bear and you got a little pack when you signed up. It was free. You got some free books. You encouraged children to go and read, which is a great thing. All my siblings did it. I did it. It was a great program. But I just had this notification flash up on my screen earlier and I thought I'd read it to you. It says, Council replaces storytelling library bear, that's the bookstart bear, with a gender-neutral dungaree-wearing rainbow alien. It goes on to Hertfordshire County Council says, Tala, the storyteller, is a bright and vibrant creature and will be referred to using they, them pronouns. It will take over from Bookstart Bear at children's reading events across libraries. As Bookstart Bear is withdrawn nationally, Tala will be the new mascot for a series aimed at babies and toddlers. A picture of the alien can be seen on personalised library cards 
iPads for under five-year-olds. And if camera there, um, there's a picture of that alien. Uh, of course, what's interesting is not very many people are happy with this, uh, even though that this meant to, and this is what the libraries claim, inspire families with babies to visit the library regularly. Now, you do have to wonder if there's actually an ulterior motive here. Um, it's rather interesting, and um, it's there's been some criticism, and what's interesting is that the uh, local libraries has responded to some of the, the, the criticism, saying, Tala is a storytelling alien from outer space. Tala isn't trans. She's an alien, or they're an alien, sorry. Um, so it is neither male or female, therefore they shall be referred to as they, them pronouns. And you just get to the point of ridiculousness very, very quick. But it does go to show what happens if you do not have that mind of Christ in you. So yes, it is very relevant, even though we, you know, you might wonder why fossil hunting has got to do with biblical relevance. It really is relevant because you need to make sure that you have the mind of Christ in you so you don't fall into the errors of the world and you get ridiculous very very quickly especially once you've rejected god and i did a presentation tonight to finish up our seminars on evolution and i made the very important point that once you reject truth any lie becomes believable so that's a big been a big focus of our convention it's let this mind be in you that is also in christ now i'm going to pull up some uh, powerpoint slides here very briefly in fact, I'm just going to ask my wife if uh, she would plug my laptop in because I've got a notification that it's about to die. So if you could do that while I pull up my PowerPoint presentation, it'll take a second to, to hear. So let's just, just take it out of this. I present a view. There we go. Bring back the all right hopefully everything's still working share screen and here we go slightly more complicated than normal hopefully you can see that can you all see that on the screen sam john there we go you're Have all good frozen? no you're fine We're carry all on good. Wonderful. technology has worked okay what you can see here is uh, one of the seminar sessions with Simon Turpin. It was great to have answers in Genesis. We had Simon and uh, his family. Simon's the uh, main guy at AIG UK. We had Neil Seeds, who's always fun to be around, and uh, he was manning the book table at the back. It was a great time to spend with him, wasn't it, Diane? It was very good, yes. And we had some great discussions, and we had some great conversations, and they enjoyed coming and field tripping with us and digging up fossils. Um it was, a, it was a pretty cool time being able to, well, you can see our dinosaur in the background. We had a museum set up. We had books and DVDs for sale. It's still all here. Um, and uh, by the way, folks who are out there in the live audience, be ready with your questions because it'd be great to take some live questions on Creation Conversations this evening. We also did loads of field trips. Here we are down at Charmouth going along the beach looking for fossils and we found some pretty spectacular things didn't we Diane? We found some wonderful things. We really did it was great fun and a great chance to you know bash rocks take out your frustrations of rising costs on the rocks rather than some of the politicians you might prefer to take it out on but we had some great finds including this rather spectacular well Diane you're sitting next to this here in the picture you tell us what this is. This is some fossil aurocaria wood. 
It is indeed. And you know it's Oricaria because you've seen the real one, the living one? Yes, we have Oricaria pines that grow in the southern hemisphere. They're otherwise known as southern hem uh, southern pine trees. And we have them growing at Jurassic Arc. Well, you, do, you do indeed. Mm. Now tell us, what's the significance of this? Because obviously you're here kneeling next to a fossil Oricaria southern conifer. And you know very well that the living Oricaria as the southern conifers grow in Australia. What's the significance between, because I mean, this fossil is supposed to be around 200 million years old. So what would we call this fossil and what's the significance of it? Well, this is a classic living fossil. Now, these uh, only grow in the southern hemisphere now. So that's an indication the world has gone downhill. They used to be more, more widespread. But about them is that they are classic living fossils. The living Oricaria pines are the same as the ones that are buried at Jurassic Arc and the same as the ones that are buried in these rocks around the south coast of, uh, of England uh, and in other places as well, in Germany and, and, and Europe and other places like that. So living fossil <coughs> is a term coined by Charles Darwin, that's correct. Yes, that's rather ironic, isn't it? It is but rather. It's true. And, and uh, he said that really these ought to be anomalies, they shouldn't be the norm, mm -hmm. but we found loads of these specimens, didn't we? In fact, it wasn't just this Oricaria, we found loads of examples of living fossils on the Jurassic Coast, and we'll show you some examples of those. This was actually found, I believe, down at Monmouth Beach, named after the Duke of Monmouth who landed there when he tried to take the crown from King James II seconds so interesting history as well now there's a beautiful it's really beautifully preserved isn't it diane it was oh the yes, detail yes, was fantastic was, yeah. and uh, really significantly have a look at what diane's pointing out there oh you notice how it's right next to the fossil and you can see diane's hand there bringing in closer it's one of those curly whirly ammonites now we've uh, had great examples of fossil flood deposits in the rocks we've been looking at and this is a big indication of it because you've got sea creatures and land plants that are washed together it's definitely a flood and it's a very large flood because jurassic is named after the Jura Mountains. So the rocks go from England to the Jura Mountains in Germany, and then they go all over the world. So it's definitely a worldwide deposit, definitely a flooded deposit. And we've got some fabulous examples here in our museum collection, including some things that we've collected on this convention, which show evidence of rapid burial for sure. We're down here on one of our Monmouth um, beaten see all the lias behind me and that lias is really the old cornish or welsh word for layers they mistook with the accent it was lies and lies and lies and that's layers and layers and layers but there we go this is the true lias it's the blue lias and you can see you've got a layer of hard concrete like limestone and then many many layers of mudstone and then another hard layer of concrete like limestone and then more layers of shale it's layers and layers and layers and you can see one of these layers actually extends out at beach level and this is what is referred to as the ammonite pavement because although the sea has done its damage on this particular section we did find one or two sections where you can find hundreds of ammonites all buried together in one place a large mass extinction flooding event for sure and we got diane well you're actually speaking here telling us about another one of those classic living fossils which was actually found here it is right here a pretty spectacular looking well diane why don't you tell us what this is because you see i know we've got some of the modern day shells over in our museum collection but you've actually seen a living one of these 
Yes, this is a nautilus shell, and I have actually seen a living one. It, I wasn't out swimming in the sea. They, uh, it was in, in an aquarium, but it was a genuine living nautilus, and I even managed to take a couple of photos of it, and it was exactly the same as the nautilus shells that I'd seen in our collection back uh, in Brisbane in, at uh, a Creation Research, and also the ones that we've had on display out here for everyone to see during our conference. And that's a really superb fossil one right there. So we have living, we have shells, and we have uh, fossilised ones that everyone could get to see. Now, I have to say that we were extremely blessed on this field trip because I've been collecting fossils from Monmouth Beach for about 10 years. I have found a grand total of two Nautilus fossils over all of that time. However, during this one field trip, I think we spotted about seven or eight. There were loads oh, of them around, yes, weren't there? Yes. Great evidence of living fossils and great evidence of after their kind. You realize that no matter what age you want to attribute to the rocks, even if you want to argue that they're 200 million years old, all you can prove is that in 200 million years, Norandor carrier trees have done exactly what God told them to do, which is reproduce after their own kind. Now, if you understand that, then you realize you have no need to believe in the millions of years. Let's face it, if you've gone 200 million years without evolving, you're not going to be likely to do it anytime soon. And one thing we like to point out to all of our attendees here and all the people who've done field trips with us is that from the fossil record, you can only prove one of three things. Creatures have either remained the same, have either changed, but it's always a devolution, isn't it? Just like we saw with those shark teeth, uh, those, those, right? They've changed for sure, but they've only gone downhill. So creatures either remain exactly the same, they either change, but it's always devolution, it's always downhill, or creatures go extinct. As three things is any help to evolution in the slightest. If you haven't changed for 200 million years, you're not likely to change anytime soon. If you've changed, but you've gone downhill, if you've devolved, you haven't evolved, you've gone the wrong way. And if you go extinct, you have not no chance of evolving at all, have you? No, that's right. Because you you're have. dead. So that's uh, some great evidence that we can find from the rocks and the fossils. Here's another fabulous fossil that we, well, I knew where this was, so I, we didn't really find it. But uh, up in Portland, on the there's some really brilliant fossils to be found, and it was a great time going out doing some sightseeing as well. Fabulous views, wasn't it, Diane? Oh, magnificent scenery. I really enjoyed it. It was really wonderful. And uh, on the top right at the top, there's a hotel, which is on the site, Old Rock garden they call it it was the portland stone the portland stone is very famous it's been used in buildings all over the world perhaps, perhaps most famously in st paul's cathedral uh, it was sir christopher wren who really started quarrying here to use the stone and uh, the main rock quarry company ended up building a fossil garden a bit like the one you've got in jurassic arc and that became incorporated as part of the uh, hotel and so i made sure to have a stop off and have a look at this rather fabulous fossil tree now we were talking earlier john weren't you about uh, fossil polystrate trees well this tree this has been erected back together again like you do over in jurassic arc and diane tell us what type of tree is this this is another oricaria pine. There you go. Another living fossil, another rapidly buried fossil. But one thing we noticed about it is that unlike John's squash tree that he pointed up earlier, this one wasn't squashed, was it? No. Why was that, Diane? Well, this tree was uh, probably floating 
uh, in a vertical position so it hadn't been smashed into a log jam. Exactly. It's buried vertically. We talked about how these things can be buried. You've got examples of these at Jurassic Arc with tanks and uh, sticks and logs. So it's really great to be able to take people out and see some real physical evidence which you can go up and, and get your photograph taken next to. Well, that brings us to the end of the PowerPoints that I was going to share today. It's been an absolutely wonderful time of fellowship. It's been a wonderful time of fossil hunting and so on and so forth. Diane, what's been your favourite part of the whole convention? Oh, I think seeing gazillions of ammonites <laughs> and walking over them. I mean, it's amazing. You go for a walk, walk over, over all these ammonites. I've only ever seen them before as individual specimens on display. You can go down to the sea and literally go for a walk over Ammonite. We had our first uh, field trip to Charmouth. And uh, Charmouth, well, I had to admit the conditions weren't brilliant for fossil few uh, and lots of things to be picked up and carried off the beach, but they weren't great for getting masses of stuff. And then by the people were like, you know, I really want to go find some fossils. So we took them to Monmouth, walked down there on the beach, right? And they were seeing Ammonite after Ammonite. After about two hours on the beach, we said, oh, look what we've got around here. Bring some people over. And one young man went, oh, not more Ammonites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, many, many of these ammonites all together, but it really is spectacular to see all of these together. So it's fabulous. And today, well, today it was it's it's remarkably quiet now. There's no wind, there's no rain, but it was pretty awful today earlier, wasn't it? We uh, had heaters broken. Uh, it was howling with wind. We almost had one of our gazebos take off. And we very grateful for all the men who helped rush out and fix that and take that down because I was a bit worried about that at one point. So we decided not to go to the beach today. We actually instead decided to go to some of the fossil shops because yes the fossil shops here are almost like museums aren't they oh they're and brilliant full of spectacular design full of spectacular mm -hmm. fossils that have got some brilliant evidence of rapid burial and catastrophic burial in fact if you remember our fish regurgitating another fish which we actually have on display here we've used these examples many times in creation conversations that was actually acquired for us by a group of supporters and it was actually uh, acquired from one of these fossil shops down here so there's even some spectacular evidence in these fossil shops as well so we've had a great time and uh, a great uh, uh, opportunity to be able to go out and see some of that evidence for ourselves so i'll wrap it up there hand back to you guys and i think we should probably do some questions at some point yes can we I should just, uh, can i just on. throw one thing in before we do questions because uh, i've had craig hawkins up here and craig hawkins specializes in seahorses but that one there is a plastic seahorse it's been deliberately made created crafted poured it's made of stuff that would never make itself into a seahorse now i know it's a seahorse because craig very generously donated dead seahorses to creation research hundreds of them that we could give away to the kids and he spoke about seahorses by design and it was really great craig we'd love you to do it again but in reality, you have a special fossil with you at the moment that I think before we have questions, people should actually see. So do you want to bring your fossil up and talk about it? Yeah, okay. We, we showed a, a brief picture of this a, a few weeks ago when Diane brought them down from Canberra. So they did a long trip from the USA, Arizona, via uh, Joseph to the UK and then Diane back to Canberra and then finally to Tasmania. But we know, I'll try and tip it the right way a seahorse is, um, but you can 
recognize it's a seahorse because it looks like a seahorse and seahorses have no known ancestors. They first appear in the fossil record as seahorses. And again, they're another example of living fossils. This is another example of a, of a fossil as well that's uh, increasing in value, actually. <laughs> there, there's not heaps of them out there. They're mostly from, from Italy and a, a few from Serbia. There's been a few found that I know of in South Australia and, and, and in the US as well, but they're not one of the most, uh, they're not, not as common as ammonite, shall we say. But they're, okay. they're a wonderful, wonderful fossil. So they're no help to the theory of evolution at all. In fact, you shared a couple of papers with me about the evidence of degeneration and mutations in the seahorses and pipefish. Uh, that's correct. That's what they've been studying. Yeah, so one of the, the real experts in seahorses is, is an Australian and uh, seahorses are um, the, half the species in the world occur in Australia. So there's a lot of people look at them down here. And, um, yeah, there's, there's things that have been lost, uh, not gained from the fossil records. So there's certain fins, for example, that have been lost that would otherwise uh, link, say, a pipefish to a fossil, um, a, a seahorse. And uh, they've also, pipefish have lost the, the ability to curl a tail. So, again, that's a, a loss, whereas a seahorse still has the ability to curl its tail right up. And there's a few other things as well like that. that okay, so uh, I think, Sam, question time now is a great idea. Bring them up. Right, okay. Um, so... Uh, I think before we do questions, um, I think it's time to reward people with a little something. Um, so to thank everyone in the audience for coming to the uh, the conference and also to everyone in the chat, uh, I think it's a uh, it's a little a time for a little uh, sneaky something from from me um, as the uh, first official creation research trailer for the Genesis film. Uh, so I will pull that up and uh, take a look.
All right. Okay. So that was the trailer for our upcoming documentary, Genesis. Um, I think it's fair to say that this project has grown significantly since we last uh, um, sort of had the idea initially. Um, uh, Joe, do you want to sort of elaborate on sort of like what our plans are? Do you want to meet? Drop sure. Me to... Well, originally it was going to be some kind of, I think when I first ever met you, Sam, it was going to be some kind of a trailer for the channel or something like that. And obviously our channel has grown significantly as well and diversified. So I still think a trailer of some description, but something that perhaps incorporates all of that would be better. What the um, Genesis project has grown into is essentially a scientific as well as a theological look at the six days of creation. Um, something that creation research does, which is almost unique to uh, creation in many sense, is really go step by step through the days of creation and make the connections between day one and day two and day three and what's there in the days of creation to the, what's happening in the New Testament, uh, Genesis chapter one, verse one, and John chapter one, verse one, and all this kind of stuff and really tie together everything and see the sort of thread of salvation down throughout history and see God as the sovereign God who has actually planned all things from the beginning. Now, what we have kind of come to is not only look at the scientific side of things, so what happened on day one, what happened on day two, but also have a look at you know, biblical implications, make sure we're starting with a world, you know, a biblical worldview, make sure we have a world which doesn't have thorns and thistles and stinging nettles in and understand the importance of that, but also looking at the theological side of things as well, looking at a bit of a Bible study. So the current thinking is that it will have some spectacular footage from Sam and his wonderful editing skills, and we will have some interviews with John and myself and Diane and Craig and some of our team and we will actually look at the evidence and look at where Genesis actually takes us through into the New Testament. So all of these kind of connections, which will make it a really unique film. We don't want to have something that's been done before, like just looking purely at the science or just, you know, a, a basic account of the six days of creation. We want to actually make something that's unique, a bit more devotional and something that is uh, really going to be beneficial to you all in your daily walk with christ that would be something really really great to be able to produce yes exactly um i mean i know when i first met you the idea was sort of just it was sort of like a something that was put on my heart to do and the initial plan was just to release it for free on youtube but then obviously since it's grown um the plan still is now to actually um to have the six days of genesis in the pure like film form as like a 20 minute short film that we will release for free um, but to have the in-depth knowledge and the study um, and to have um, the more in-depth sort of deep dive into Genesis, um, that will be made into a feature-length documentary with everyone um, to film, you know, interview segments and deep dives and finding that thread that takes, you know, Genesis through the Old Testament, through into the New Testament, uh, through to Christ. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. It's got um, state-of-the-art CGI. We're using a technology called Unreal Engine 5, uh, we're using top of the range uh, editing software that Hollywood uses. Uh, you know, all of this, all of this stuff wasn't available to creation research before. And since I've come on board, I've been able to actually get this stuff and actually be able to use it for our project. So this is going to be, it's, I, th I think we agreed it's going to be our biggest project ever. Mm -hmm. 
It's certainly looking that way, and we're very much looking forward to uh, eventually getting there. But like any of these mm. projects, I've had to learn. I know that John's had to learn. They take a lot longer than you originally mm. anticipate. Um, by the way, something that's... by the way, there'll be no computer stuff supplied by me, <laughs> and that's a good thing. <laughs> Okay, by the way, before we move into questions, guys, just off of the back of what Craig was talking about earlier, um, we do have a whole uh, museum section set up here in the big tent at the convention. And of course, it's a big part of our Creation Research Museums project. But I just wanted to show you a rather interesting fossil that we have with us. I got this from a good friend of mine. It's also for one of the Italian ones. Uh, Craig, you might be able to recognize what that is. You can see one of the pretty cool looking pipefish fossils um really really nice example there and we've I'm actually, jealous i might have to hold joe, it up you put that, uh, joe do you want to put that back up to the screen so we, we can actually get up closer to the camera and i'll lean up a bit i've also put oh there it is it's on the floor it's fallen down but what i've actually got here as well is the uh, you hold that up that's it nice and close to the camera there we go there's the pipefish fossil and there, let's get it turned around the right way. There we go. There's the modern day equivalent, which was actually picked up off the beach uh, a little while back. It's turned around that way. There we go. So there you can see it there. So we have some uh, some pretty great fossils, living fossil examples, as well as rapid fossil burial examples and many other things in our museum project. But uh, anyway, how about some uh, some questions, Sam? Yes. Yes, questions, questions indeed. Um, and not to worry, the trailer will be uploaded to the Creation Research channel so you can share it with your friends, get the hype building. Uh, right, okay, let's do some super chats. Uh, can we get a whoop whoop from the audience live for super chats? Can I go whoop whoop? There we go. Right. Okay. I, I love doing stuff like that. It's great. Um, so uh, coming in from Doki Doki Bible Club, super sticker for five US buckaroos, a Shiba dog saying, good job while raising his thumbs up. Just go. so we I can explain know. to our live audience, right, we uh, go out on YouTube and on YouTube there's the opportunity to be able to send super chats, which is money to help support us, right? And on YouTube, if you look at it in the thumb, where it says, you know, this, this, this sheep or dog saying good job while raising his thumb up, you actually see a little... I don't know, is it called an emoji or something of a little dog doing that? But for some reason, when we translate this into restream, <laughs> it doesn't work. So it gives us a wonderful description of what it is. Sometimes the descriptions are... I do it like that because I know Diane enjoys my interpretation. I, of, I do, uh, yes. <laughs> so we'll see stimulates what we Stimulates the imagination. Carry on, point. Sam. Exactly. Carry on, Sam. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, Iron Mac comes in with a super sticker. The four US buckaroos, a pair character, exaggeratingly stretching his arm forward to offer a cup of coffee. We there need we a cup of coffee yes, right we now. Can really. need a cup of coffee now. So thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, Doki Doki again coming in with three years buckaroos, a baby lemon with pom poms in his hands, cheerleading, going yeah. There we go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And yes. uh, as we're still going with super chats, it's been going nuts. Uh, Doki Doki again with one forty nine US buckaroos, a banana. <laughs> banana. That, that, oh, no, that's it. Just a banana. <laughs> I, th I think you may you may want you may want the living water channel with ray comfort for that one but uh anyway <laughs> <laughs> and uh george bond coming with a super chat which is a donation of 20 aussie buckaroos a donation for further flume experiments god bless you mate thank you and neil 
coming in with 10 British buckaroos. Thank you so much, Neil. God bless to every... Oh, I've missed one. Doki Doki again coming in with 149 US buckaroos. The sparkling diamond. It's like you, Diane. The sparkling diamond. There you go. There you go. Right, okay. So first question. This comes in from Yahoo, I think. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, they say, question, have you guys worked with geopolymer experts to get the processes required to make rocks such as the Geopolymer Institute in France that could help build a flood model? Okay, I'll answer the first bit of that. The answer is yes, we've done plenty of making rock experiments. No, we've not worked with a Geopolymer Institute. Uh, yes, we found that you can make rocks as fast as one thing because the point that the whole conversation between uh, Ravi and the others uh, needs to come to grips with one thing. The chemicals themselves don't even uh, make life. Uh, you need, if you want to make rocks, you need a right process. Time is your enemy because the rock begins to disintegrate as soon as you make it. So you, you, the key thing we've discovered in manufacturing coal, which is technically a mineable rock, in manufacturing fossils, which are just illustrations of what used to be alive, is that you your time is your enemy. You have to do it real fast. Now, if that's any help to the Geopolymer Institute, uh, that's great. Or the other creationists, you don't need time. You need the right process. So the point we make even with students, if you want to learn something from creation research about a future career, then major on process. The smarter the person, the smarter the the, the, the better the information, the less time you'll waste manufacturing this. And time is money in the real world. Even when the fuel has doubled its price in just recent days, you'll find if you invent a better process, then you'll get rid of time and save time, you save money. So there's, I think, the whole answer, unless you want to answer anything, Joe. No, I think you've covered that, uh, that pretty much there. Um, let's just ask, do we have any, any questions from our live audience? No. <laughs> it could be on that's anything, that's anything that's in the world. It could be on right. anything, any topic, not what we've talked about tonight. We do have a question. Hey, right. Yeah. Um, we need to take this microphone that way and pray that it hasn't got tangled up with anything. And we need to move the camera around. Just bear with This is the first time we're doing this. You can't tell, can you? There we go. That's it. Keep going. Keep going. There we are. Right. There's our live audience. There's the microphone. Go. Um. I, uh, I watched John McKay's, um, one of John McKay's live videos with us on the convention and talking about those experiments uh, about, you know, forming sediments in sort of like a flood context. Um, there's also lots of rain during the flood. Um, would would Divi probably already done this to sort of like add a sort of like a, a sprinkler effect or something to create that kind of effect that rain would create on those sort of situations? Do you mean in like the, the, the flume experiments? Yeah, the, the flume experiments. experiments. Yeah. That's yeah. a good question, John. Okay. Yeah, good question. Well, I like that. It is a good question. And yes, we have. But first of all, I need to correct something there. Do appreciate the question. But you're a victim of English tax collectors because the Mackays are the people on the, the left-hand side of Scotland, according to the English census collectors. And most of us have ended up with any version that the local tax collector decided he wanted to do. So Mackays on the left. Mackay's in the north, McKees, McCoo's, Mackay, all of that. And we're all victims of the English saying, what did they say? And writing down what version they thought. So 
if my dad was still alive, he would correct you uh, and rather uh, offendedly say, we're Mackay's, the real Mackay. You heard the saying, the real McCoy? Well, it comes from the real McCoy. Uh, but the Americans can't say it, right, because of English tax collectors. Just a little bit of background history uh, on, on names and the variations that you actually get. If you actually look up what it was originally, it's Gaelic, coming hence from Ireland, M-H-I-C-A-O-I-G-H. If you can pronounce that, go for it. But it's why so many of the Irish are regarded as mix today. And it's become a synonym for Catholic. But it's not really. It's just the old Gaelic word associated with the descendant of or the son of. So Mikhoi, uh, Mikhay, how do you spell, how do you even say that? Uh, interesting problem in the modern world. Um, it's almost sad that you've asked this question, but good because just two weeks ago I uh, I said let's switch on our, our our erosion machine. We've taken many pictures of the top of the strata machine all along showing that, well, normally you actually get to see the strata in the side and you get some fabulous results. In fact, Joe, are you actually making the videos of these sessions available to people? This is the Yes, they will be available somehow. We haven't quite decided yet whether it's streaming or DVD or whatever it okay, is. Okay, so since you have, you will see point. our latest uh, whole study on strata going a bit further than we did either on Creation Conversations a little while ago or on Standing for Truth channel as well. And it'll be the latest and it's up to date. And I must admit, I enjoyed the challenge of both fitting it into 50 minutes as well as reporting the latest. But there's one thing I didn't report, and that is six months ago, I asked, could we possibly have a huge double length um, sort of top version of the strata machine on the ground so people can see this happening? And we set that up, we filled it with local sand, then we got a thousand uh, litre uh, farmer's tank that they usually put water for spraying or material for spraying in. Then we connected up to a little little hose and we ran it to a low pressure sprinkler onto this top of this sand pit. And the pictures that have come out of the formations have been fascinating. And what you see is a delta. The delta is the commonest form of result. Now, why do I say that? When you look at the criticisms of applying the uh, strata machine to real world stuff, they say even if it worked, it only refers to a delta. Well, it certainly does. And you can see this when you actually film on top. Now, we've taken the pictures, we'll take the video and we'll show it to you perhaps on our next edition of this. If you're looking at the surface features only, you see deltas. But there's one other thing we have done. And that is, we went to even bigger deltas. I mean, we've had heaps of floods in the Gympie area this uh, year. And what they do is coming down streams, even within the stream, in the flood base, in a hole. If you have a, a big hole gouged out, the first thing that forms in that hole is a delta. Now, it doesn't form a delta because there's boundaries around the edge. That's what water does. It comes down from a source and it begins to spread out to any available space. It even does that under sea. And so in our pit, you can see the deltas forming. In fact, one guy, I sent it to a geologist, said, what do you think of this? He says, is that a satellite picture? No, it just didn't have any scale in it. So it looked like a satellite landscape that covered sort of half of Australia with massive deltas. You'll get to see that. 
but it also forms in big streams where there's no delta restrictions and it forms underwater where there are no boundaries. So deltas are applicable uh, because of the, the way that water behaves, not just because you have land bases pouring into deep sea holes as in the Bay of, uh, associated with Venice. So yes, we have done it. Yes, we're very pleased with the results, but yet we haven't got a final um, uh, video or a slide series. I, I, I'm almost regretting now I didn't leave those two pictures in here to show you this, but uh, obviously our time is limited. So yes, we have done it. Yes, that's the first time we've been asked this question. So congratulations. And uh, it's obviously been a profitable time for you guys at the conference. Amen. I've just come down into the audience, by the way, John. Um, speaking of limited time, we have a very sleepy audience here and it's it's very late at night and we've had a very, very long week. So I suggest that we'll be wrapping up in the not too distant future. But I've come down here because I wanted to give you a quick uh, look around. We've got lots of, uh, of people here, obviously not as many people as we have been for the rest of the convention, including some regular viewers of Creation Conversations, so it's great to have them here. But if you come have a look over here with me, bring the camera around, you can just start to see a little bit of the setup that we have a, a great big museum setup where we've been able to bring these things along we've got dinosaurs over there displays we've got local stuff and so it's been a really great time of being able to actually put this on display so that people can see the evidence from our museum project because i saw earlier that there was a question about how is the museum project coming along and I mentioned that we've got our open day coming up and yes we need lots and lots of help for that we need lots of support we need lots of volunteers we need lots of financial support um, we, we've got such a busy busy time and I've forced myself under the strict instructions from John Mackay my boss to take a couple of days off at the end this convention and spend some time with Sarah and my wife and uh, at the end of all of this um, you know the open day and everything we're taking a little bit of a holiday as well because it is very full on so please if you can help us and support us it would be great uh, but we would really very much appreciate that but yes we do have our open day coming up yes we are moved in sort of so to speak <laughs> everything's inside the building let's put it that way um what we now need to do is have the enormous job of actually pulling it all together organizing it and cataloging it and getting it started to be set up into a museum we want to have it roughly laid out it won't be you know museum quality by the open day because the open day is not an opening day per se it's a day where just like the jurassic arc open day it's for supporters like you who are watching and our live audience here to come and actually see what we've done, see what the potential of the building is, and see some of the fossils and so on and so forth. We also have obviously got Diane Eager who's here with us, and she'll be here in the UK for a little bit longer, and she'll certainly be helping with some of the uh, cataloging and displaying and organising and sorting as well, and we're really looking forward to having her help. And also, I'm sorry to embarrass you, but Susie, could you give the wave to the camera? Let's bring the camera around. Here's Susie. Susie is uh, coming on board to help us at the creation research team, and she will be an invaluable source of help, both in the uh, museum building, in the shop, as well as all of the admin and everything else, and also in our, our next convention as well, which we're really looking forward to, to doing. So pray for that as well. Yes, we want to make these conventions a bit more regular. Um, uh, you know, this is our first one, so we've had a lot to learn, but it's been a, a great time nonetheless. Back to you, John and Sam. Well, welcome okay. to the team. 
Welcome to the team. <laughs> yeah, thumbs up. Can I just uh, add a comment here, Sam? Uh, looking at the chat while Joe's talking, uh, two things I'm reminded of. I embarrassed Joe the other day because at the convention, I told everyone that Joe has been so busy doing this. There's one little minor thing that he's simply forgotten about, and that is to pay the rent on the building uh, that's, that's due this coming week. So if you can actually help Joe do this, we would be truly grateful. Those of you at the convention, again, a reminder, talk to him. Uh, but the actual amount for the next couple of months is several thousand pounds. In Australia, it's a long weekend, so difficult to transfer too much funding because of where our secretaries are, etc. But if you actually can help Joe, that will be a wonderful blessing. And I'd encourage you to give and give generously. But there's a second comment reading the chat, and that is have a look at the session we did dealing with how you recognize a creation, because there's two bits of that that's very relevant to the discussions that are going on. Number one, you've got to be honest, even if you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, you're a Muslim, whatever, the Bible is emphatic, the world didn't get here by itself, it has not been here eternally, and it won't be here eternally. It was created, it was created in a short time, and it will disappear in an even shorter time. It will be burned up and judgment will be real. Hell is a real place, just as real as the eternity of the new heavens and the new earth, that the heavenly realms, we might say. And so when you look at creation, it's all about both the, 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 the subject that God made it, it was made very good, and then sin's a problem. But by the time you get to the New Testament, listen and listen carefully. Those of you who think you can't see the evidence of creation, well, the Bible's also got a very strong position on you. It says everyone can see the evidence of creation. Everybody understands it. No one's got any excuse and everyone will be held accountable because of the evidence the world was created and is owned by the creator God, who is none other than Jesus Christ. Now, in case that slipped by past you too fast, let me say it again. The Bible is emphatic. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, the academic of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, trained Pharisee, trained legal lawyer, says you can see the evidence of creation. God knows you can see the evidence of creation. You can understand it. You have no excuse whether you're Dawkins, the manager of the BBC, or you're one of our watchers today. And as a result, God will hold you accountable. You, In, in fact, the implication is if you're out there saying everything was eternal, out there saying there was no evidence of creation, you are lying to yourself first. I know that's tough, but that is the position in the New Testament. And it also tells you the reason you can't and won't acknowledge the evidence, the reason you'll even lie to yourself is because you are a sinner. And sin will shut down your mind and tell you you, you can't see it, whereas you know that you actually can. And secondly, if you want to see it, the point we've been making over and over again during the week is that you need Jesus Christ to change your eyeballs, the way you see things. You need him to open up your heart and your mind through salvation. And until you do, you will continue to lie to yourself and to lie to everybody else. But there's a time coming when you won't get away with it. I, I, that, that's going to be on one of the programs called Creation, the Final Proof. And again, a reminder, George Bond asked me before this program, could we deal with polystrate fossils because here's a problem that's occurred? The answer is yes. Keep your watch on search, you know, Standing for Truth channel. We'll give you a date when we can figure it out. Keep watching on Creation Conversations because we'll do the same program 
uh, or a similar program. I never do the same program twice. And, and we'll deal with those fossil trees that are standing upright. Some are just coalified, some are hollow, some have got permineralized wood inside, some have got silica, and some have got wood. And more about that another time. Back to you, uh, Sam. Okie dokie. Uh, right, shall we do... How many more questions do you want to do? Do you want to do... I think we should probably do just one more question. We have hit the sort of... At 11 p.m. mark here, which is when we'd normally close down. I know we've only been going for an hour and a half, but that's because we had two seminar sessions this evening, and I needed at least 15 minutes to be able to have a turnaround point. So um, if we can just deal with one more question, don't worry, though. Remember, any of your questions, we do hang on to them. We will have a Q&A session at some point soon, and we deal with all of your questions from the past streams. So make sure that you keep your questions coming in, and don't worry too much if we don't get to them. But I think, Sam, we should have one more question, so make it a good one, and we'll wrap up shortly yeah. after that. No pressure, then. Um, right, okay. It's not really uh, any pressure on you, mate. It's on the people who are asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. Okay. I like this one coming in from Neil. Uh, he asks, are there such things as fossil people? And if yeah. so, how rare are they? All right, I'll take this one straight on the head. I've been to see many fossil people, including the ones in the basement of the British Museum. And according to the uh, chief guy in charge there, as he and I talk out of sight of everybody else, as I'm filming the, the fossils that are down there, I asked him personally, how many fossil people do you know? His answer, at least 30,000. Now, I've traveled the world since then, and there are lots of fossils. Many of them are in caves, by the way. They're preserved. They're buried in the cave debris or whatever. They're whole skeletons. The one in the Basin British Museum was definitely a, it was buried in limestone, derived from uh, fossils associated with coral. So there's lots of fossil people, and they're easy to recognize because they just look like dead people. Joe, you'd be the other one who could come on onto that if you want to say anything. Yeah, I think this is a, a, a key point, right? And by the way, this expert, he's had every chance to deny that he said that, every chance to dispute that, and he hasn't. But I just want to add a little comment that I've actually mentioned a, a few times this week. One of the problems we have with our museum project is that we have getting on for 30,000 and fossils and artifacts and nowhere to put them. and so you've got to decide which ones are actually going to end up going on display and you'll find that most museums around the world have the same problem and the reason why you haven't seen one of these 30,000 odd fossil humans on display is because secular museums decided a long while ago that they would only put the fossils on display that supported the current thinking in science now if a very old fossil human is still clearly a human thing else that doesn't help the theory of evolution particularly well because what it shows is that for as long as humans have been around humans have always been humans um not evolving from an ape-like ancestor or, or likewise so you'll find that uh, there's a, definitely a trend to hide uh, or if not hide ignore a lot of these fossil human people um but you will find that they occasionally pop up in the media to be very 
very quickly recategorized as some other, um, you know, freak phenomena or archaeological find or something like that, and then hidden away, never to be seen again. So uh, interesting um, phenomena, really, that happens with these, these fossil human people. Um, but then also don't be surprised because, Diane, maybe you want to comment on this. Um, in terms of fossilizing a human, right, humans can actually fossilize themselves sometimes yes you can actually get uh, deposits of minerals within the human body uh, particularly in some disease processes yeah so it's not that far-fetched that you can get fossil humans but no matter where you go no matter how far back you go no matter how far back you try and find these fossil humans they're always humans and that's key um, you could almost call them living fossils <laughs> I think that's it, Joe. Just a reminder about supporting Joe in the museum there. Yeah. He does need your support and he needs it right now. We do indeed, and uh, very much so. And I know that Jurassic Ark needs your support, and Craig's Museum in Tasmania needs your support. We desperately need your support and help in volunteers, in finances, in people willing to come on board and actually make this thing happen. So uh, please do continue to support us. Thank you to our live audience who stayed awake and stayed with us. I'm very grateful for that. Um, and uh, yeah, goodbye, God bless, and join us on the next convention.